Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leo Childs, who's also known as Skip Childs, was working at his father-in-law's Getty gas station in the summer of 1974 when word came in that a woman's body had been found in the dunes in Provincetown. Now, 45 years later, Skip has a part-time job mowing the church cemetery where the Lady of the Dunes is buried. This 45th year after her body was found, the victim, known now as the Lady of the Dunes, has not yet been identified. This is a podcast by the Cape Cod Times about the Lady of the Dunes case and other unidentified bodies, skeletal parts, and unsolved homicides in our region. I'm Mary Ann Bragg, one of the reporters, and with me today in the studio is Skip Childs, and his wife, Margie Childs, who both live in Truro. Tell us all about your ties to Provincetown from around 19, in the 1970s, in terms of where you were, how, roughly how old you were, what, what you were doing at about that time. I grew up in Provincetown um, in the mid-70s when the uh, Lady in the Dunes was discovered. Um, we were just about ready to move back to Provincetown. Skip had gotten out of the service. My parents were still living in Provincetown. And um, and I, I think my mom probably called me and said, oh, my goodness, they found a body in the dunes. And then shortly after that, when we came back to Provincetown, it, it was the talk of the town. How about you, Skip? Well, uh, at that time, we I was a mechanic by trade. And uh, I had, had a job offer from, uh, to go to work at Rod Service Station on Conwell Street. And then uh, we did come back to Provincetown, and that's where I went to work. So tell me about the, uh, as you remember it, on July 26, 1974, when they did announce that they found <clears throat> the Lady of the Dunes. Well, still, to, uh, in my memory, we weren't in town at that point. We frequented town quite often, you know, so it's any conversation that we heard um, might have been on the weekends around town or something of that nature, but we hadn't actually moved back full-time to town. And when you said uh, there was something about your father-in-law's filling station or? Well, in those days, in those days there were various uh, workshops around town, a lot, of, a lot of different places. Garages were one of them, and they were gathering places for for people to stop in and talk, and and you got the daily news. The the guys that came into the garage first thing in the morning would be able to tell you, 
you know, if there was a fire last night or if somebody's boat sunk at the wharf or if there was a rescue squad call. Or, so you, you, knew, you knew what the community was doing all the time. So it, it, was, a, it was a gathering spot. And we had groups of guys that would come in and stop in in the morning just to say hello or they'd gas up their, their pickups before they went to work or something of that nature. And, uh, and, and you got a lot of local information that way. It was, it was a different time. There was no Internet and there was no uh, social media at that time. So the telephones still had uh, rotary dials on them. So it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of uh, interaction amongst the people in the town to, to, to communicate what the local news was. And so that particular day, do you remember being at, you said, get, it, was it a Getty's? Your it was, father-in-law's it, it, it or Margie's a, dad's? Uh-huh. Right. It was, a, it was a Getty station. Um, I don't know if I was even around on that particular day of the incident. However, there were numerous conversations um, from time to time the people came in, and I don't know what what precipitated the conversation, but there would the conversation would come up, and they would have a discussion or a little town hall meeting, like to just kind of uh, talk about things that were that, you know that were discovered or what they found incredible about the whole situation. Right. So it went on from time to time. Margie, tell me about your your um, the police chief at the time. Chief Meads, what was your, like, how, talk to us a little bit about how involved he was or committed to the case. So I think that, um, you know, like when Skip was talking about the whole town meeting feel of how things um, progressed in Provincetown, there wasn't the level of um, secrecy, I think, in the police department. They... They were so uh, it was it was difficult to solve. They and I think they knew it was going to be a, a difficult case to solve. So I think they tried to get as much information out as they could. Where today, immediately the you know the district attorney and they would they would close everything down. The state police were involved as well as the Provincetown police and the Provincetown police. It was all people we grew up with that we knew. So at the time. Um, Jimmy Meads, so you had Jimmy Meads, the fire chief, and Jimmy Meads, the police chief. And Jimmy Meads, the police chief, I think, you know, really either felt very badly that this woman had died basically alone, just with her assailant in the dunes. Um, You know, the fact that the body was mutilated, that her hands were cut off. And I really felt like, you know, as I, because we knew him, it, it became his life's work to try to solve the case. At the time, the police officers that were working in Provincetown, I think it became very important to them to solve the case. And, you know, I mean, they, I remember reading about when they brought in forensic scientists to recreate this woman's face. Mm-hmm. Those were things we had never heard of. And yet, you know, Jimmy Meads really pulled out all of the stops to try to get enough information to identify this woman. And then I, I do think that he was probably instrumental in getting her buried at St. Peter's Cemetery. 
She had no resting place. There was no family that they knew of because they never identified her. So I think for him, it, it, it did become very, very personal. And as time went on, um, when he finally retired from the police department, I think it was probably the one thing that he regretted the most, that he was never able to solve the, the crime and who murdered her. Right. I know that each police chief since then, each has picked up that, that case and attempted to make some progress on it. Right. You mentioned the cemetery. Um, I was it a few weeks ago, I think I was riding my bike by the cemetery. I saw a person mowing the lawn. This is at the um, St. Peter's Church Cemetery. I stopped. And then that's when I realized Skip introduced himself as the person mowing the lawn. So that's how we got started and ended up um, that you all are here today. But maybe talk to me about either of you in terms of how you think that her um, body ended up being buried there. I know just maybe theoretically or any information you might have in terms of how it is she came to be there. I really don't know how she came to be there. She's, it's, it's kind of a remote spot in the cemetery. It might have been just an available piece of ground. And, you know, like Margie said, I'm sure that Chief Meads felt very badly for the, for the woman. And he may have been instrumental in securing a little piece of ground for her to rest in. Um, it, it's you'd have to look for it to find it. You know, it's not. It's not. Uh, there's nothing prominent there, there, even though she is probably one of the celebrities in the in the cemetery. As I said uh, earlier, I I was surprised to see that she was there, and it wasn't until I was uh, trimming the grass around her stone that I realized that that's who it was. I knew she was there. But, um, so this, you know, growing up in Provincetown with predominantly Portuguese people. So the cemetery had, uh, it was a huge um, focus and center of the family. When we were growing up every Sunday, we would go to church. And then you went to the cemetery mm. to visit the relatives, came home changed out of your church clothes, and then went to Sunday dinner at my grandparents'. So the cemetery always had a focal point. So I knew she was there probably long before Skip did, just because of, um, you know, it seemed like we were always in the cemetery, <laughs> which seems a little crazy. But um, so I really do think that... Um, you know, Jimmy Meads was a prominent member of St. Peter's Catholic Church and, um, you know, really a, a, a generous soul. And I, I think that he probably was instrumental either through the Knights of Columbus or, um, you know, there, there wasn't a quote-unquote potter's field. So I'm sure that she needed a resting place. And my guess would be that he was probably instrumental in securing that spot for her. Maybe tell me a little bit about mowing the 
cemetery now and who asks about her if anyone well um <clears throat> i was asked to help the, the the custodian from the church with the cemetery duties and um father mccullough uh, had bought a new mowing machine <laughs> and which which makes a lot of noise and but he was he was very very uh, interested in having somebody that could maintain the machine because it was brand new and it was an expensive machine and that's kind of how I got involved in in helping out up there. Um, we we occasionally see people wandering around the cemetery looking at stones and and uh, when I'm working around the cemetery I I look at the stones it kind of keeps keeps me occupied see who's who and a lot of the people that are there I knew um, but we've probably had about like a dozen people or so that in the last two summers have asked you know about where the lady in the dunes is and it's pretty easy to point her out because of her remote location in the cemetery so it's just down the end of the road the last one on the left type of thing and uh, they go down and they take pictures of her headstone and uh, I've noticed that some people put seashells there, or little mementos on the stone. I, uh, I generally ask <laughs> if they know who it is, and I've never got a positive response. But they are interested, so you know people come to Provincetown, and it's it's one of those things that they've they've heard the stories of the of the situation, and they you know they they're interested in it. Margie, you mentioned that about that time 1974 uh, it was also just maybe a few months earlier that an infamous uh, killer i guess uh -huh. um had also died so that there was at the time in 1974 there was a bit of a kind of a two famous things happening at one time would you just talk to me a little bit or talk to us a little bit about that um i remember at the time with um you know, so when sitting having coffee in friends' kitchens or my parents or um, a lot of people suspected that the previous killer who was now in prison um, had had something to do with it. And maybe even to the level of um, Provincetown was such a sleepy, quiet little place where nothing really happened. Um Jimmy Meads, when he was a sergeant, had stopped me on Bradford Street and given me a written warning. So that that <laughs> <For> was one <laughs> for speeding. Oh. <laughs> so that was, you know, I mean, those were the. Not a whole lot happened in Provincetown. It was very sleepy and it was very quiet. And so now, you know, you had the first round of m murders when I was a senior in high school. This is Tony Costa. That was Tony right, Costa. In yep. Okay. And so, you know, he was he was tried in Provincetown because the courthouse was in Provincetown then. It wasn't, you know, we, you know, your courthouse was right in your town, and was sent to jail. And then he, um, you know, the story goes that he hanged himself in prison in 1974. So as soon as the lady in the dunes was found, people immediately thought, uh oh, it's it's more of the crime spree of Tony Costa. And, um, you know, I, I think that possibly 
that might have hindered the case because I think people thought, oh, it's just more, um, you know, drug, drug-fueled crimes. Um, I always marveled at the fact that, you know, sh- the reports were her extensive mm-hmm. dental work that nobody ever came forward um, I also remember there was a connection with Canada that um, Jimmy Meads worked on for a long time, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they thought that she actually was not an American, that she was from somewhere else. But, um, you know, it just... Uh, uh, Provincetown was, in those days, had been very, very sleepy until, you know, these two cases happened. And it, I think it changed... It changed the dynamic a little bit, especially as a as a native. You just never dreamed that those things would happen in sleepy little Provincetown. And how do you feel about the case now? Yeah, both of you, either, either. I'm amazed that it hasn't been solved, to be honest with you. I, you know, with the level of forensics today, with DNA, um... If some of the players are now deceased, would somebody come forward? I know at one point there was conjecture that Whitey Bulger had had something to do with it because uh, he frequented Provincetown mm-hmm. in the um, late 60s and 70s. And, um, you know, some of the the methods that he used when his victims were murdered, extracting teeth and that kind of stuff. So that was... That was like the latest round when the talk of the lady in the dunes resurfaced when they linked it to mm-hmm. Whitey Bulger, but I don't think that they ever got anywhere with that. It was just a that sort of brought the case back to the forefront, though, I think. Um, but I am very surprised that it's not solved. I wish it had been while Jimmy Meads was alive because it had become so important to him. Um, wherever he is now, he probably knows who the murderer is. So, <laughs> Skip, how about you? Well, I think that probably one of the one of the largest topics of the conversation that went around the garage was the fact that there was no way to identify the woman, and people didn't. People were not aware that it, it could it could happen that something could happen to you, and if they couldn't. They couldn't find your fingerprints, or they couldn't find dental records, or they, or something of that nature. They wouldn't be they wouldn't be able to tell who you were, and I think that was the most incredible thing that that, that people came to realize that uh, in those days it was way before DNA, and and uh, there was just no database. If somebody didn't know who you were, uh, they they just wouldn't be able to identify you, and I think that was probably the the biggest thing, and and like uh, and like Maggie said, it's it's with with modern science having progressed as much as it has in the last forty odd years, that something hasn't triggered who that person is, and so it's still it's still pretty uh, still a big mystery for the town. So currently, the uh, Cape and Islands District Attorney's office is using a technique called genetic genealogy to try to come up with her, <clears throat> at least her identity. So um, that means uh, using getting DNA uh, from her remains and then using that 
to combined with genealogy databases to maybe come up with a first cousin or some second cousins. So um, they're in the progress, they're uh, in the midst of doing that kind of analysis right now, but what do you think it would mean to the community to, for her identity to come to light? I think it would mean a lot to Jimmy Mead's family, the, you know, the children that still exist. As far as Provincetown goes, Provincetown has changed so much. So, um, you know, the folks that were alive, that it, it was very important to them that the case be solved, but so many of them now are gone. So I'm not sure how much community um, there is left in Provincetown that thinks about it, cares about it. I mean, obviously, our generation... You know, we remember it, and it would be nice to finally see it solved and that she wouldn't have, um, you know, the the notoriety slash anonymity of being the Lady in the Dunes, that there would be a, a name and a history to go along with it. I think the toughest thing for Provincetown people, when Skip was talking about the fact that, you know, the amazement that, you would go somewhere, be killed, and nobody would know who you were. That was a difficult concept for Provincetown people because you knew everybody. You were related to everybody. And so the concept of being completely anonymous and having no way of anybody identifying you, I think that was something that really hit home with the Provincetown Portuguese community because it was a very, very foreign concept. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think she's right. The, the, the demographics of the town have changed so much. You know, we find it refreshing when we run across town people. So <laughs> it, it seems like a lot of the, the old families are gone. Obviously, obviously, all the old fishing boats are gone. So the, it's, it's a different thing. It, the, I think the majority of the population that live there now are you know, just not aware of it or just really not as close to it as people that were back then when it was all families and all working people in town. So I think it's a, a big change in the demographics. So I don't think it would have the same impact now as it would have had in 1980, we'll say. So I think I think as as time goes on, it, it, the people that were involved in it, the people that were concerned about it in 1974, that's all being washed out by attrition. Thank you so much for visiting. You're it's welcome. been a real pleasure. Oh, it was, it was kind of fun to talk about it. Yep, we we enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for having Brought us. Brought back some old memories. Listeners can find out more at capecodtimes.com forward slash Lady of the Dunes. And a special thanks to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for the music for our show. Thank you for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.